Programming Throwdown. Episode 51, Udacity, Democratizing Education. Take it away, Patrick. All right, we're here with Art Gillespie at Udacity HQ uh, in this awesome room of soundproofing. This is like the most professional interview we've ever done for a podcast. (laughs) Normally we're just like in our pajamas on the couch, like (laughs) me at my house, Jason at his. I'm hoping he's wearing pajamas. Sometimes. Um, Depends if we're streaming or on uh, on live coding or not. Okay, anyways, we'll just keep moving forward. No bad pictures in our heads. Uh, Anyway, so we're here with with Art. And uh, Art, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Art. Um, Art Gillespie. I'm the director of U- <laughs> director of engineering here at Udacity, and I keep wanting to make a joke about how I am not wearing pajamas right now. I'm just <laughs> He's right. not wearing pajamas, Re- that's true. But I am wearing clothes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been the director of engineering here at Udacity for about a year now. And so I'm the hiring manager for engineers here. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys. Nice. Very cool, very cool. All right, well, I think, Jason, you had some questions kind of prepared here. Do you want to? Sure. So... Um, some of these are kind of questions kind of for everyone and we can go around the table and have mm-hmm. a discussion about it. And so we're going to start off with kind of one of those, which is, um, so Art, you have a background in engineering? I do. I, so how did you first learn how to program? Oh, it, it was a long time ago. So when I was 10, um, they, we got an Apple II at the uh, school mm-hmm. library and I just started, you know, I, I kind of <clears throat> borrowed the manuals and took them home and read them. Nice. And I was, uh, I was writing like video game um, ripoffs. Um, cool, as, cool. As early as I can remember, and but I actually didn't realize you could get a job, so <laughs> so I went on as I got older. I went on to uh, to go to business school, and um, and kind of went that road, and then came back to engineering by a long and winding route. So I am not a trained engineer. Uh, okay, very cool, very cool. Um, yeah, personally, I. Uh, um, I was very similar. I got a Commodore 64 from my parents, and it came with a manual that actually taught you basic. Right. It's kind of wild. I mean, now you wouldn't even get a manual, I guess. It would just come with a PDF on it or something. But but it had this like, this, this very well-illustrated manual teaching basic. And, uh, yeah, I made, you know, tic-tac-toe and some kind of uh, simple things on that. And uh, similarly, you know, my, my I remember my parents uh, saying, you know, look, computer programmers are just going to be like TV repairmen. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> exactly. like, why are you doing this? Like, go into math like your dad and things like that. And and uh, it's amazing sort of how far we've come. And now we realize that, that, that programming, engineering, these disciplines are just, like, incredibly valuable. And... Uh, uh, and so it's amazing coming, thinking all the way back to then and now, what a huge difference, right? But, but for me, that's it. It was just, um, um, I just serendipitously had a basic programming book that came with the computer, and, and that's kind of how it started for me. Yeah, my story is completely different. Yeah, um, so right. both my father and my grandfather were computers and programming computers, and so from a young age, I didn't get, we had computers around the house since, you know, my dad would you know get them and, and have them um and then he had programming books because he was doing programming and so about the time i ever started getting interesting i could pick up one of his programming books you know uh what is it uh richie's c language book you know had that oh, wow. like on the shelf like pick it up and look at it so there's like a it's you're a unique. programming dynasty something <laughs> I um and so your first programming book was literally k and r I, I won't say that I first understood it, but it had to have been one of the first ones I picked up and looked at, right? Um, Instead of the Dickens, he gives you the cake. No, it wasn't like that. I don't know. But yeah, so I mean, from a young age, you know, we had, like, I had IDEs and, you know, stuff that I could get my that my dad had gotten, right? And so, um, you know, initially it's hard. He didn't really 
teach me at the beginning like I would just kind of try to learn myself and, and kind of but then you know once I was ready you know he was able to help me when I would get stuck and stuff so cool. that's kind of how I learned um, and then even I took programming classes and starting in high school um, very cool and so yeah that's how I started so if you had to start from scratch you know the men in black folks came with the light and just blinded all of us right mm-hmm. how would you start learning about programming today that's a good question um, it, it seems like a great time to be an autodidact you know, if, if, if it were today, there's just so many resources. And if, if all I wanted to do was learn, it's almost an embarrassment of riches. So I remember as I was getting back into it, it um, MIT OpenCourseWare had just uh, kicked mm-hmm. off. And they had like SICP and, and all this great stuff. So I felt like I could go back and get some of that academic. But honestly, it was great intellectually. It was super stimulating. But it didn't really help me with my day-to-day work. So I, I guess what, what I tell like when high school kids, yeah, I go talk at schools and whatnot. Um, honestly, I just tell people to open up their browser and like, Google Chrome DevTools and just start hacking. I mean, it's almost like everybody that has a computer has that Commodore 64 now because right. you, know, you have a full runtime right there in your browser and you can just start you know, writing games or whatever and it's incredibly powerful. So that's what I tell young people is just, you know, find a text editor and start writing stuff in JavaScript and it's a great way to learn. Um, yep. But for people like me that are doing a career change, um, I don't think there are as many good options because, especially if you're looking to make the career change and you want some kind of credential or whatnot, and I think that's that's where you know Udacity sort of fits in is that specific market of people that aren't going to take three months off and go to a boot camp mm-hmm. or um, you know stop and go back and get their graduate degree in you know computer science. Um, so. That, you know, obviously I would recommend for those people, definitely take a look at us or, you know, other, you know, people in this sort of MOOC space. Right. You you guys said MOOC a lot in the debugging episode. We did. Yeah, Yeah, we're a big fan of MOOCs. MOOCs. Definitely. Cool, cool. Um, I'm very similar. I think uh, the cool thing about JavaScript and the web is it's very easy to deploy. I think a lot of where people get stuck is where they don't get any feedback. Um, they're learning C and they end up with loops and they have something that looks kind of cool to them, but they can't really, they don't even know how to give it to somebody else. Maybe they're on a Windows, they're on a Mac or something <coughs> like that. But you can just make a, a website with a JavaScript, you know, a game, maybe tic-tac-toe where you click on the boxes. You could have that up and running, you know, zero to 60 in a few days mm. and, and, and share that with the whole world. It's just very special. And, and I agree. I think I would start... Just get Chrome, open up the dev tools, just start hacking away at it, totally. What about you, if you had to start over again, Patrick? Maybe I'm different than you guys. Um, I don't know, the web stuff is cool, but I, I think today the biggest opportunity that would make me interested is the Arduinos oh, and Raspberry the Pi. hardware stuff, right? Yep. You get a Raspberry Pi. There's some extent that's still just a computer, but you know, something like an Arduino where it's like really meant to hook up to sensors, to your world, right? Like that's cool to me. The whole, you know, just a step below robotics, I guess, but leading into that, like as an entry point, I think to me would be in very enticing because you can write code and it's not just see something move around on the screen, which is, you know, I could do with my paint tool on the screen as well, right? Uh, but you know, actually seeing something move in the real world without a human doing it, like to me, um, I think I would find that, and I still do now, even when I find myself with hobby time programming, like that's the stuff I tend to program yeah. for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as like learning from there, so like starting up, those things are cheap now. I mean, Arduinos used to be, I guess to me as like a student, they were kind of expensive, yeah, but now you can get- Yeah, bought nine dollars, right? I don't know if they were that expensive, but I was gonna say even like $30, right? Yeah, like, I've seen yeah, kids for like 25, 30 bucks. Yeah, 25, 30, you know, that's fine. You can do that, but now, I mean, you can even get stuff that's like $5 off Amazon in oh. two days or whatever, right? Like, wow. um, you know, it's super, super easy. Uh, we won't get into like 
the authenticity of those or whatever. But you know, if you really want to, <laughs> if you really want to do something, right? Like you can get that stuff and start there in the Arduino IDE, and you know, using that, and they've made it, you know, to help you. Um, and then I think the learning goes from how do I learn what programming is? And I think everything we described is kind of talking about how do we learn what programming is, except, except for maybe Udacity, which maybe you can fill us in a little. And, and, and that is a first step, and you need to do that to find out, is this interesting to me? But I think one of the things that is for someone who's learning on their own is how do you transition from learning what programming is, what a programming language is, what does it mean, how do I write stuff in it, mm -hmm. to how do I make software, mm -hmm. right? And, and making a game in part teaches you that, but how do I structure things? So getting into things like what is OO, right? object-oriented, what is, you know, what is a, this functional programming language? Like, as people in that industry, we talk about those things and we have a feeling for what they mean, but I imagine as a newcomer, right, how do I go from essentially the scripting modality, like I'm scripting things to happen, right. maybe I add some input, but I'm, I'm doing that very simple flow to how do I say, I'm gonna build a piece of infrastructure. I'm going to, you know, why would someone go work at X or Y Silicon Valley company just making pipes? Like, why is that interesting to them? They're just taking data from one place and sticking it in some other, you know? I'd rather make games, or I'd rather make robots, right? Like, but there are obviously intelligent people doing those things, and like, I think one of the missing things for self-teaching is how do you make that yeah. that progression and that's something that you know I was forced to learn at university because you take a class and the teacher gets up and tells you like hey when you get to industry like they're going to be making you do these kinds of things here's mm -hmm. an established code base like go in and make edit and I guess it's part of the curriculum there yeah that, um, so that gets in so our next question oh, is oh. actually exactly <laughs> this Someone, so we got a lot so by far the most question I'm sure everyone listening is kind of dying to hear the answer from from art is is you know I got a degree in you know not CS mm -hmm but I love programming, how can I get a job at programming? And that includes you know, being able to do architecture and, and the basics and things like that. Yeah, and I think, I, I think there are a lot of paths, really. Um, the, you know, as a hiring manager, I'll walk back, so start with the end of this answer and walk back. Um, I think as a hiring manager, when people show up and they just show a, a big pack, I mean, I don't really pay attention to CS degrees anymore as a hiring. It's been a few years since I really cared because I just didn't see any correlation. Uh, and, okay. and I was getting a lot of people that had taught themselves or had made the change. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of like part of my journey to Udacity is, you know, career-wise, is realizing this is a powerful thing that's happening where people aren't CS um, majors, but they're totally capable of doing industry work. And um, so, you know, I, I don't really pay attention to that. I look for a passion for the work. And I usually get a great signal. You know, what, what we do here is we just do a ton of research on people beforehand. GitHub, um, do they have a blog? You know, what have they shipped on their own? Because there's almost no excuse for not shipping something on your own. It's just, as you said, it's super easy to deploy just about anything. Right, um, right. You can ship an app to the App Store. It just The cost is virtually nil. And um, so, you know, I, I always recommend to people that they build up a portfolio of projects. And this is sort of, the, the tack that Udacity took at it as well is that it's project-based curriculum. And so you go through, you build real, you fix real projects, you build real projects from scratch. And, you know, we have an army of um, code reviewers that go through it. And, you know, you either you meet expectations, don't meet expectations. And that's why we, we feel comfortable cred credentialing people at the end is they've gone through this sort of rigorous code review project on the uh, process on these five or six projects. And, but... You know, whether you do it at Udacity, whether you do it on your own, that's the key, I think, is having this demonstrated passion for the work that manifests itself in projects. Gotcha. So do you have a differentiation between people who do the shotgun approach, like here I have a bunch of 
I don't mean the slander, so a bunch of toy apps, right? Like mm-hmm. here I wrote a, you know, another to-do app in JavaScript, and then I wrote, a, you know, I wrote an iPhone game, but it's, you know, I moved Sprite. It's a match three game that I found mostly the template on the internet, right? Like so, thinking about how I would look at hiring someone, right, mm-hmm. and bringing them in is like, to me, that approach says something very different than this person kind of sat down and did something mm-hmm. new or something different, something where they had to get past the point of following in other footsteps mm-hmm. and like kind of doing that learning where there isn't a clear guide, right? Like they've been given the fundamentals, but they have to go out and kind of do it from, I don't know, from scratch isn't the right word, but mm-hmm. kind of like build that thing which there wasn't an existence proof for or whatever. Well, I would argue that the, the signal I like best is actually that they went to a real project and just started contributing to it in a small fashion and not okay. doing something from scratch and being okay. hyper creative and being it because I, I hardly ever hire people that I need to create something from scratch. Fair enough. I need them to work on a code base and you know mm-hmm. build features. But it, it's a fair point if it is just sort of, look, I completed this tutorial. Obviously not that interesting, right? Sure. But they, I, I, there are people that have taken tutorials and just gone insane. Right. And that's super impressive. But yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of times I'm actually looking for people that have contributed to, meaningfully to open source projects, even on smallish features. So what would you say, and, and you know, obviously, you know, specific examples, but like as a general case, like what would it be a significant contribution to an open source project? Oh, that's a good, good question. So like, I, I, I mean, obviously a bug fix, right? Like, could be a scale from like I went and changed one line of code, but that's still hard. You got to figure out what line of code mm-hmm. to change, right? To like adding a feature, is it along that spectrum? Is it kind of how do you kind of or what have you come across in the past? Well, I think yeah, exactly. So if you're looking at an entry entry level candidate, you know, somebody that's gone in and taken the initiative to you know find a bug or five or six and go through and fix them, and you can go through and you can see their comments on the bug. This is incredible signal that you don't yeah. normally get um, because somebody just has a four year CS degree, right? Um, so it's not so much. I mean, there is an issue of scope there, right? If they just went in and fixed the README and said, I contributed the Python, (laughs) um, which people have definitely done. Um, No, someone exaggerated on the resume? No. I know. Very surprising. It seems seems extra silly in this day and age, since (laughs) all you have to do is go check the the commit list, right? Um, But yeah, no, it's it's not so much scope. It's more the nature of the work. And then, of course, you're looking for all the sort of maybe softest skills. But like, how do they communicate the issues that they run into? How did they participate in the community Um, because these are the things that are going to make and break them on your team right you know so um, yeah it's not and and I've run into things where people showed up to um, I don't want to get too specific uh, call people out it's too easy to identify people but but, um, where somebody went to an open source language project and um, basically had completely rewrote their support for um, um, AIFF files Um, And this was like just because it was, and they improved the load. I mean, I don't remember. Like the, um, so AI files have the, uh, the chunk at the header that, that has all the metadata right. and an improved parsing of that was like, I don't know, 80% or something. But, oh. you know, I mean, to me, that just shows a tremendous amount of initiative. And also they participated really well. And this was something that had like no prior experience. You know, they, they built some projects and whatnot. But that one thing was enough for me. And, you know, in the interview and whatnot, and, you know, they were, they were capable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that was enough for me. So, I mean, when people are looking to make the change, I think there's a lot more fear of that process, you know, this town is kind of legendary for having crazy academic requirements mm-hmm. and, right, right. and insane interviews. Um, but when in fact, we're just looking for great people. That's true. And I think um, too, it depends on, you know, the, the, the company. I think there are some very large companies that have, um, um, that, that get millions of resumes mm-hmm. and um, they don't, they're not going to be able to know who's passionate for the company and who's not. Mm-hmm. And so, so they, um, it might be difficult without a CS degree to get through all the autonomy 
uh, so someone can find the diamond in the rough. Not impossible, but more difficult. But if you find you know a place like like Udacity and uh, you have sort of good synergy, then there's 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 no reason why. Uh, you know, you with you know the right GitHub and these these kind of like uh, experiences, why your resume wouldn't get looked at. Mm-hmm. I think that's a common fear: is I'm going to give my resume, it's going to say GitHub superstar invented Lua, did all these these things, but it's not going to have you know computer science degree from insert top five university here, and some mm-hmm. filter is going to you know remove it. Uh, I think that happens. I, I do uh, think that it happens, but it's not as prevalent as people think. Sure. Yeah. And I think also, you know, I was, at, I was at Google for a while. If you're, if you're shooting for Google, it, this is probably a tougher road to hoe. But even, um, didn't they just, and I think you guys mentioned it too, they, they had their how to become an engineer page. Oh, the, the Laszlo posted this, right? There was this the, list and like Udacity's on it and, <laughs> you know, how to become a software engineer. Not, and no, nowhere on the list did it say, go get a CS degree. Right. Um, right. And so, I, I don't know, maybe things are changing there as well. Yep. But uh, the, the, so that's really exciting to me that it's not, and because just if you think about, you mentioned the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. uh, earlier, that, that if, if we think about the number of jobs that are going to require these skills and the number of people that have them, we probably have to find a different model. Yep. And, and just to recap, so we talked about this in the 50th episode, but in case you're skipping, there's there's this idea of sort of this pyramid where um, you just, uh, at different levels of the pyramid, you have different roles and they're needed at different quantities. And the Industrial Revolution shifted that whole pyramid up where um, you need way more mechanists um, not as many farmers and just everyone kind of all the other levels above farmer grew dramatically and so what we're seeing now in the information age is the potential for the pyramid to shift up again and so that's where something like Udacity becomes very important. So I, I just one thing to clarify and, and then a comment so uh, we're talking about Udacity both as a place to learn and a place to work so that might be slightly confusing to some oh, people so it may sure. be good to talk about Udacity as a place to work you guys aren't just a, a shell website that you know hosts people with his videos so maybe we can get into that a little later or whatever mm-hmm. but right. you're talking about it one way that way but also as the place to go and you know get learning that's um, true yep. and so just to people might have gotten a little totally uh, a little mixed up there but yeah I mean I think what you guys are talking about is is interesting is that as we have as companies have trouble hiring people because the you know universities are only capable of churning out so many people and they're mostly focused on weeding out unsuccessful computer science people as opposed to in some ways making them successful mm-hmm. that's that's my personal opinion anyways <laughs> um, and so uh, you know they're mostly focused on that that it may be the companies that have the pick of whoever they want it may be a difficult road it may continue to be for years to come because as long as if universities are still producing enough very talented people who both had time opportunity and timing to go to university did that they may take them preferentially mm-hmm. seeing it as less risk now whether or not it is you know to be debated right. but then you know there's always going to be those other companies that are looking and they don't have they don't have the name recognition maybe it doesn't make them a bad company it just means they're the next google or, or apple or facebook right those up and coming when google and facebook were initially there right and, and now they're a big company so there's other companies looking to become that and so they aren't able to get the you know top one percent of graduates or whatever and so then they have to look at other things and they're still looking for quality people and quality right. signals and i think that's where we're talking about now it may change for the other companies as well they may begin to accept things that they don't today. Um, right. Also, you have, to, you have to look at your entire career. Right? I mean, once you're established in software engineering, uh, 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 software engineering discipline for 10, 15 years, then the field is completely equal. 
I mean, if someone has 15 years experience at, at Google. Do you think it even takes I 15? Know. I don't, I don't I, know that it takes 15. Yeah, I was being extremely conservative. But if someone has five years of experience at, let's say, Google, then then you're probably not looking at where they went to high school, right, or something like that. And so, so um, a lot of it is about you're getting the right experience, and at that point, you've leveled the playing field. Yeah, I think it can happen in as little as, you know, definitely five years. Because if you're really go to a good company and you're doing good work, when you go to interviews or when I conduct interviews for people and you ask them, like, hey, you have, like we talked about, people exaggerate their resume. So, oh, I wrote Python. Wait, I happen, no, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, hey, I did something awesome on Python. You ask them about it and it falls through. It makes you kind of like, Meh. now I feel bad because you've kind of not been truthful. But if you say, hey, I built a you know bandwidth shaping algorithm for delivery of video content or you know just something right and then you're like whoa tell me about that and you can actually because you did it you can actually right. talk about it you spend people years go doing oh I can relate to this person this person knows how to speak the lingo like they right. obviously know and are passionate about what they're talking about and then now you can get on to like the other kinds of questions or interview but like you need to get to that point right mm -hmm. and I think open source helps but then I think working at a company as you said for some number of years and being able to say look I I worked on this. I you don't have to own it as like a manager, but like these were the things specifically I did. Not my team did. Right. Not the mailing list I was on did, but the like here's the things I did. Mm. So another kind of question along these lines is what's sort of the certification process for um, Udacity and other sort of MOOCs? And and how does this uh, how is this different than a university accreditation process? So, well, as someone who doesn't know anything about either, uh, you I think could, I think there was two different things there. But yeah, I mean, basically, like, how do either of those two things work? Issuing a certificate they, to a person or accreditation to an education platform? To an education platform. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so how are universities? I'm actually interested in both. Right. How are universities accredited? How is Udacity accredited? And sort of how are these things similar and different? Right. So I don't know how universities are. Accredited. Okay. <laughs> no, apparently nobody. It's I. The only little bit I know is that um, there's some consortium, and I think they do a bunch of audits and things like that. I have like no that. idea. I figured you would I thought know. you were going somewhere with that. No, I so said, okay, it turns out no, none of us so know. So we all buy into the system, <laughs> but none of us know how it works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, no, so on, on the Udacity side, you know, we offer a credential. So the idea is we, we build these nanodegrees with Google, Facebook, Amazon, um, and we're basically curating the entire sort of all the pedagogy, all the material, all the projects are geared towards what they're looking for in this particular discipline. So if we're doing the data analyst degree with Facebook, you know, we do that with data analysts from Facebook, and they're basically trying to curtail, or I'm sorry, um, craft a um, sort of pipeline of entry-level data analysts. So this is super effective, right, because this is literally what hiring managers are looking for. And then um, as people come through, uh, we find it's easy to place these people. Um, because again, the they know the curriculum was designed by us with Facebook, um, ah, and, and they know that these people. Should. So we sort of take that approach to you know we would like to help people change their careers or, or get a, that first job, and so our our idea of credentialing is go to the source. That makes sense. I mean, one sort of common complaint that is, can seem kind of orthogonal, but I feel now after talking to you, it's kind of connected. We always kind of just about interviews and how. Uh, so Max Howell, who, who invented Homebrew, which is a very popular OS X software, he posted on Twitter, um, you know, you, the post was a quoted post. It said, you know, 
he was quoting as if he was, uh, I can't remember which company he applied to, but it said, you know, you, you invented homebrew, but you can't invert a binary tree, so get lost, you know? <laughs> and his whole thing was, you know, I interviewed at this company, I have all these years of experience, but the, this some academic thing from 15 years ago didn't apply, hasn't applied to me and I didn't get it right, right? So, so I think maybe that kind of starts to build the pictures. I think a lot of academic accreditation comes from, um, uh, it's just much more, uh, uh, has a much longer tail. In other words, the people are looking at the next 50 years or 100 years and saying, what should computer science people know 50 years from now? And the answer is yes, you should always know how to do sorting. And that's just a universal, right? But that puts people who get a degree in a very weird position because the industry doesn't really need that. Um, I've never, since since leaving university, have had to code my own sort algorithm. I would just download it, and I mean, I'm sure you're in the same boat. So there's this kind of disconnect, right? And I think, I think by going directly to the companies and saying, "What do you want, and how can we get people there?" Mm-hmm. You're you're putting people on a on a direct path to to something that's of value to to, to the industry. Well, wait. So that's a good question, though. So, if you go take data and analysis, what, what is the actual? Were you? We have a data analyst nano degree. Okay. Yeah. If I go take data analyst nano degree, mm-hmm. obviously, probably to start, I need some sort of background in programming before I start. Or can I take it just? I want to do a little like example walkthrough, maybe. So, like, I don't know anything. Can I just start like on a chemical degree? engineer? You yeah. Want to be I'm a a chemical engineer, analyst. so I know math. Right. So, yeah, I'd say if you're a chemical engineer, you can jump in. So we have like. We sort of suggested prerequisites. Okay. I mean, we have a ton of free courses that can help people fill that. Okay. Uh, fill those. And, and, but it's really a, a question of comfort, comfort level. So there, you walk into DAND and the first course is pretty basic statistics. But if you're completely uncomfortable with math, sure. then there there'd probably be some things that you'd want to do first. Okay. And, but you've not programmed a lot. It would be No, okay. no. So, um, I, I would say we have a few senior courses that are clearly are nano degrees that are designated like um, Android. And um, senior web dev, where it's definitely, I mean, implicit in the title that you've already done some programming. Um, but and then we have, we, actually, one of our most popular nano degrees is intro, um, intro to computer science. Okay. Intro to, I'm sorry, intro to programming, uh, nano degree, and that's literally. So if, if you find yourself in another nano degree having trouble with the sort of assumption of programming experience, and just go to intro to programming, and that's literally, regardless of where, where you want to go, iOS or Java, Android, whatever. Um, this gets you up to speed on sort of the basics of programming. Um, but again, it's not a strong computer science focus necessarily. Sure. So the idea is to get you to be productive. And cool. so if, if you came from, okay, I'm a chemical engineer, mm-hmm. I, I went through the nano degree, you know, like, it, you know, it's good. Facebook presumably came to you or you went to them and said like, hey, let's create this together. Mm-hmm. So they have some like, we like what's in here. We looked at the syllabus, we've maybe taken the classes, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, sign off on it. Um, but then, you know, it, loving that, uh, Taking that and making it a job at Facebook, you know, is probably a, a helpful thing, right? But is that sufficient? Because I would imagine Facebook wants to know, hey, if we want to switch you um, from, I, I don't know, maybe they have a specific data analyst position that isn't also expected to do programming that does other stuff. But, you know, mm-hmm. hey, we want that background. Would it be, look, we want a nano degree in that and something else? Or do you think a nano degree in that and, you know, hey, you can start becoming a data analyst and learn the rest on the job? Do you see where I'm kind of... Well, I mean... I, I, I think with entry-level positions, 
there's always that component of you you know as a hiring manager you hardly ever get every I keep switching hats here like from hiring <laughs> managers, uh, <laughs> talking about audacity but you know as a hiring manager I, I hardly ever get everything I want in any hire and there's always a on-the-job component um, yep. and 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 oftentimes they bring things that you didn't expect which are which are awesome but um, no absolutely you, the people that come out of the data analyst degree get nano degree get data analyst jobs. Okay. You know, whether I, I guess if they want to move into another role at that company, then maybe they come back and take another nano degree. Sure, which would be sure. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> cool. That makes sense. So, um, tell us a little bit, you know, more specific about Udacity. Kind of tell us sort of where did the idea come from? What was sort of day one at Udacity like from from you know talking to people mm-hmm. um, and things like that who you know were there at the conception? What's sort of the history like? The sort of ramp up and where's sort of Udacity now? Yeah, so in 2011, um, Sebastian Thrun, who's our founder, mm-hmm. um, he was a professor in AI at Stanford, and um, I I'm not really sure what predicated this, but he decided to make it available the, the course that semester. Uh, available to everyone in the world um, and this was real time and like using t- they were doing the full experience just for anybody that wanted to attend and um, I don't remember the exact numbers I want to say it was like 60,000 students wow <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> I'm being told it was over a hundred thousand students oh wow okay. <laughs> signed up uh, and um, and it was taking a, that one class yeah exactly wow. and so and they're they're grading everything and it's it's insane doesn't scale um, right. But what he was shocked by, and, and what you know, the sort of um, nucleus of Udacity was that he had to when they, when they got done and they ranked everybody, um, the first Stanford student was like forty seven, and so the first forty six <laughs> people in the class were remote. Wow. And and he's like, we we we, and so the idea was, how do we scale this? And right. so that that is the sort of inception of Udacity. And since then, you know, and it was one of the first companies, well, that was probably the first MOOC um, that was real time. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, sort of experimenting with those massive, massive open online course models at the beginning. Um, and over time, iterating to this, you know, Sebastian likes to say, and, and I, I agree with it, I think it's true, is that the fundamental, and I know a lot of people would disagree, but the fundamental value proposition of an education is a job. And mm-hmm. so we, over time, evolved to that. And those are some of the most rewarding things for us individually um, and as a company, as, as a business, is seeing the people who we help reach these goals. Yeah. You know, they're, they're in one job, they're dreaming of you know, getting over it, and then it happens through this process. And you know, to your point about, earlier we were talking about they finish the data analyst nano degree and then they get a job at Facebook. But actually, we have a whole careers group that helps people that does resume reviews, GitHub reviews, oh. uh, LinkedIn reviews. Engineers on my team do mock interviews, so we give them like the full Silicon Valley uh, interview oh. experience. <laughs> and then we spend. And then we. But actually, the really cool thing about that is what you don't normally get to do when you interview somebody. I am, Tell them how they did exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you do a forty-five minute interview and then you talk to them for forty-five minutes and kind of you know give them feedback, let them know what they could do better, but also kind of pump them up. And I then have a friend who stopped interviewing because wait, too doing many interviews times, or he oh, stopped, sorry, going he stopped, on interviews no, or he stopped conducting? conducting. He okay. stopped conducting interviews because so many times he people felt like they were doing good and they weren't or vice versa mm-hmm. and and he he couldn't give the feedback back to them. 
and it sort of like leaves this hole. Yeah. So we should clarify that for because not everybody may know how that works because it was kind of uh, interesting to me because when I got my first job, it was a non-technical interview. So they just ask you like, tell us about a time where you didn't like someone and had to work with them. And then, right. Right, you know, questions and, yeah. yeah, so so anyway, so that's a little bit different. But for technical interviews, it, when you go to job training at a job or, or when you go on an interview, you know, what you should expect is that the interview person giving the interview will not tell you anything. So you'll, they'll say, hey, you know, I have a problem. I want you to solve this problem. You know, go to the whiteboard, write it down or over the phone, type it into some online sharing thing. And then they will sit there quietly and maybe ask a question or two, tell you the next step, but they won't tell you, oh, that's right. Or wow, that's good. Or, ooh, yeah, you know, are, are you sure? No, there's, 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 there's nothing, nothing to just stare. So, so sometimes I've been in ones where people just stare at their laptop the whole time. Yeah. Just no, that. no feedback. And that's actually by training. Mm -hmm. They tell you, do not give feedback. They say for you know potential lawsuit reasons or whatever you know and, and, and that well, may be but and even even lawsuit notwithstanding you don't want I mean the, what you don't want is the person goes through five interviews all five people tell them they're great and they don't get the job yeah exactly yeah just yeah. and also you don't want them to become violent like yeah I'm sure there's lots and lots and lots of reasons <laughs> he gives hard interviews apparently um, wow. I don't want to take your interview no 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 um, <laughs> but yeah so people's just opinion of themselves are way higher than okay to your point enough. right people Dunning think they're doing great and true. yeah. Um, but so yeah, that's great, right? That you know, having the someone tell you at the end, hey, here you did this at this point, or you did that at that point, or you forgot to do this, is like really helpful because it's very nerve wracking to right. essentially be talking to a wall that you feel is judging you. So and it's not even they may think, wow, this is the best person I've ever seen, but they'll probably give that poker face and not tell you anything. What's what's the connection between the nano degree and the sort of job? training a job preparation is there a job preparation nano degree or is that come along with all the other degrees so the career services come along with the nano degree there is there is an additional thing called career advisor and we've launched something recently that we're super excited about which is the job guarantee so oh, i saw the email on this yeah, yeah so it's it's uh it's an additional hundred dollars a month um while, while you're enrolled but then we guarantee to find you a job in six months or we just pay back your entire tuition so very cool um, but yeah on the the the, the career services thing is really interesting. Like all the engineers love doing this because um, you do do the poker face thing for the first forty-five minutes. Because I think all of us remember our first, maybe maybe not first, maybe first 10, 15 you know, interviews mm -hmm. throughout over your, the course of your career, and they're stressful. I mean, they're incredibly stressful. They're stressful for it, both people, to be fair. You may you not know, know that, but if you get <laughs> if you're getting someone who's giving their first interview, they're probably to be. And it sounds silly. How could this be? But I tell you, the first time you give an interview to someone and you're like, "Oh, wow, I think this person's like twice as qualified as I am," it's very intimidating. It, it is, is right? and you keep your poker balance. face, so you have an upper hand. But you know, you feel very nervous, or like you're 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 the, the question that's supposed to take 20 minutes of the interview, and they're just like in two minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh no. <laughs> What was that second question? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, totally. Oh, so, so yeah, so when you're doing a nano degree, mm -hmm. the Udacity is trying to provide more than just, hey, take this course, take this, take this course. They're trying to help you grow, right? They're trying to right. create you a career path if that's what you're looking for. Uh, presumably, some people may not be looking for that. They're just oh, no, that's true. I mean, learning. Like, but yeah. Actually, that's a good question. So, so if someone um, is just a pure academic, mm -hmm. um, maybe they have no interest in, in, a, in, a, in a software engineering job. Maybe they're, they're perfectly happy being a lawyer. Mm -hmm. But they just want to learn um, uh, just in a very sort of like high-level academic setting computer science mm -hmm. or, or anything, economics or something, right? Mm -hmm. Are there those courses... Um, is there a sort of, I mean, because that's a little different than a nano degree in terms of sort of the goals, right? Sure. So how do you sort of balance that? 
So we have, you know, historically we have some psychology courses. I think there's some econ courses. Mm -hmm. um, with nanodegrees, it's just been totally, let's get people jobs in mm -hmm. tech. Um, so nanodegrees are, are almost exclusively focused on that. We have a tech entrepreneur nanodegree, which is more focused on sort of starting a business, running a business. Okay. But, um, but for the academic, the, the more academic subjects, I guess, um, we, we have these free courses, but it's not really our main business. It's not what we, you know, we don't gotcha, aspire to get people jobs as economists. <laughs> right. Yet. You're not going to go Well, right. I was going to say, so is that actually true? I mean, so now you're focused on, it sounds like mostly technology or even computer science mm -hmm. as like a, as a big focus. But then, I mean, do you see that transitioning to other? other like if someone, if, if all of a sudden the math factories start popping up and you need people to make widgets of math, then, uh, then you could <laughs> pivot, right? <laughs> Uh, I mean, we've gotten pretty. I, I, so the machine learning uh, nano degree and the deep learning course that we did with Google. I mean, I, I mean, there's that's getting more and more practical. Like, I, I feel like I need to know it, you know, for my <laughs> job. Um, and so, but that's fair. I, I, we push the boundaries there. We've been doing uh, also historically. Our first course was AI. We kind of stick to that. Mm -hmm. But um, but no, really for us, it's it's all about. We're, we're passionate about this mission of getting people jobs. Cool. So, we're all so, kind so of then, but oh, wait, so to, 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 I, I think there was still something there. So for people who are just looking to audit, so like famously the mm -hmm. uh, judge ruling over Sun versus Google over Java APIs is like, well, hey, this is super subtle. Like I should go learn programming. And he admitted from the bench that he had gone and, you know, read about programming and I read a book or took, I remember he said basically he taught himself programming. Now, to what degree, I'm not sure. He's, you know, he's a judge, he's probably really busy. But you know, if, if he wanted to come take, right, like is there an option there to, to kind of like, hey, I'm just auditing a couple courses, is it at that level, is it easy for him to identify, here's some things to take versus not take because of what I'm looking for? Well, right, this is an important part of our model, so it's a freemium you know, model. All of our course material is available for free. So if all you want to do is you know, watch the videos and um, look at the material, Anybody can do that. You just sign up, do it. Um, the NetAgree is more about the services around it. So the project code reviews, the one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Um, so I guess it depends on whether you learn better. You know, if you would, no, if you would great. get value out of a one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one mentor, even if you didn't need a job, then the NetAgree probably is still for you. Um, if you gotcha. get benefit out of that, the code review process, um, that would still be great. Um, but and I think that's actually a great distinction. I would never ask you to talk bad about other people in the space, but I mean, I think I've been on other places like, oh, here, here's a course about blah, and it really is, they want to just charge you for the videos. Like, mm -hmm. that's the thing yep. they're selling. And I think that's interesting what you said, that you guys aren't trying to sell videos. You're not trying to sell learning. People can learn, you want the knowledge, you want to help people, but I mean, it costs money to have someone go down the phone for an uh, hour and a half doing 45 minutes of an interview and 45 minutes feedback. Mm -hmm. It costs money to have code review and peer review. Those people are have to be, by necessity, they could be in the field, right? Mm -hmm. Or else it's kind of meaningless, and so by, therefore it's gonna cost, right? Um, and so it's interesting that that's the thing you're trying, like I think that's a very, like that's something I didn't really understand, I guess, right, yeah, prior to you saying this, so. Yeah, so we basically charge for the services, essentially. Yeah, I'd, I'd also thought up until now that that the money was just sort of for the certificate. Like I hadn't really understood that there were different services for the mm -hmm. premium versus the free tier. And so that, that actually well, right, makes a ton of sense. And I mean, it's the services that lead to the, uh, the, the credential. Right? right, but you get so, both. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. But you're not paying for a piece of paper. 
No. Right, right. Right. And I guess to some extent people say that at university you're paying for a piece of paper. But uh, that's not really true. I mean, university, d well, you may criticize in some classes they do, but they don't typically just sit you down and like show you a video for the entire time. Like there's TAs who grade your paper, there's mm -hmm. professors right. who you can go to their office hours and, and they, you know, interactively give the lecture theoretically. Um, <laughs> the interactivity part may depend on your university. Um, but, you know, like it, in theory, you're paying for that, right? You're paying well, there's, for yeah. there's. In There's addition many. to getting a, a piece of paper, but like right. they have to have people there. It's not like they can just make that autonomous. It can't scale in the same way. No. That's right. Right. I feel like there's actually two. So this is one thing that makes education so difficult is that there's so many goals from one service, right? I mean, so one is it's a key to academia. So if you want to write research papers, you have to go to college. And so there's there's that part of it where like some if you want a certain door, a very specific door to open, there's only one way to open that door. But there's also if you want to write a very specific kind of academic paper, like peer-reviewed, journal-published, right. academic That's right. paper. That's right. Okay, just to be fair, I, I mean, you could just publish a equal quality paper without that. Oh, that's right. Tag that's right. and okay, right. Um, but well, I just tried to, to do a little. Well, not okay. to go into too much of a tangent, but a lot of academic papers are peer-reviewed, and so uh, even though it's a double-blind peer review, it becomes sort of a click. You have to be part of the click to get the paper published. So okay, okay. Anyway. But that's one goal. But then that's the minority of people. Not many people. Like there's this, there's this, there's this uh, inverse exponential thing that goes on. Basically, every year you're in college, half the people drop out. And this goes from first year, freshman year, all the way to last year of PhD. And so there's really nobody left at the end. Uh, so for everybody else, um, you're really wanting to change your distribution. So in other words, if I was to pick a person out of a hat, who has a CS degree. A sorting hat? A, a, like, like, yeah, like Harry Potter, yeah. So if I was just randomly <laughs> pick a person who has a CS degree and randomly pick a person who doesn't, then the first distribution hopefully skews more towards someone who's going to do better in the job. And so I think that um, by providing sort of these services, you can provide, not only is it helping the candidates, but you're providing guarantees to the companies that say, look, if I'm going to draw a Udacity um, uh, nano graduate, then I'm going to draw someone who is uh, uh, who's, who, who I know will fit the role with some amount of confidence, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it kind of works both ways. I mean, that's gone to an extreme with us. We just recently did a deal with Flipkart in India, the, the, the Amazon of India, and they actually did a deal with us to hire um, nano degree grads in India sight unseen, no interview. Wow, wow. So it's kind of like our the manifestation of our ultimate goal to just be able to... Except that this pushes a big responsibility on you guys. <laughs> yeah, now, right. now you've got to you know, protect against things like fraud, right? So if someone's yeah. copying someone else... Uh, no, I mean to, that's true. I, no, I don't mean to true. talk about it, right? But I mean, if you're going to have that as like, a, hey, these people are going to hire, there's a trust there. Oh. And if you abuse that, you'll lose it and get slammed and get bad press. I was and actually thinking terrible something for different. I was thinking more just uh, like culture fit and things like that. It's hard to, to sort of... Um, like you want to be given the chance to say yes this person has all the skills but mm -hmm. they don't fit the flip yeah but that, I mean the person could ultimately get the job and not like it and transition to something else after a period of time that's or, true. or they don't that's have true. to accept presumably right. the offer right, right. right. Um, so sure there's other things and maybe they still conduct yeah anyways whatever but slight unseen hiring right like then you guys have to protect against like how do and this goes in another question I have in general which is you know, how do you make sure the people are the people they say they are and mm -hmm. doing the things they say they're doing, but then also providing the interaction with other people. So like, you know, in college you do group projects infamously. I think in college it's also a problem. Like it, sure, sure it is. Like that, yeah. mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so like how kind of those two things. That's both true. Are, how do we there's no in person part, right? So right. like I, how do you make sure the person is who they say they are, and then how do you provide that person to person interaction among peers? So we use an identity certification service um, okay. when you graduate. Um, and as far as you know, fraud or cheating is the same as it would be at any institution. You know, mm -hmm. you get ahead of it, find something new. Get sure, it, race. You know, yeah, don't uh, say anything. <laughs> you don't have to say anything specific. It's right. Like, and the yeah. algorithm. No. Uh, so what we do making that scale is is uh, it's a fun technical challenge. But uh, the yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and it's something that we're vigilant about because if those things happen. Not just with Flipkart, but in general, the credential is not worth anything, and you know it is worth something, and we're going to make sure it's worth something. Um, so we work really hard on that. And then cool. again, the because people aren't in a place, you know, the interaction will necessarily right. be different. But how do you kind of handle that? I, they so, weren't really that related, but no. So on that, I, I think of that more as a that helps people learn. That's uh, not not so much as a validation or, or fraud. Yeah, 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 but, no, no. But yeah, the, 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 this is something that we work on a lot from a product perspective where we just want to make it as much like being in a classroom as possible. So uh, we cohort people as they join. So they see those same people throughout their... Oh, okay. oh that's cool. You have the same uh, um, deadlines as those folks. Um, and we've experimented with a lot of sort of real-time chat sort of study group type things and those those have shown tremendous promise and we'll, we'll keep looking at that we also as often as we can we host sort of in person in different cities where we have the most students we'll host these sort of in person hackathons or just meetups oh, cool. and we found that that it, I mean the engagement with those folks is just huge I mean we have, we have good engagement as it is but the folks that actually feel like they're part of a group um, and it's, you know, it's the college thing, right? Um, they just, they do much better in terms of retention, in terms of, you know, getting projects done on the, um, the original timeline. And, I mean, I should point out that you can work at your own pace. Um, these, these deadlines are sort of just to help motivate people. Right. But, they, right. you know, nobody ever fails out because they, you know, missed a deadline or something like that. But I think what Jason says, true, I mean, you guys must suffer attrition, right? People who <laughs> start something and don't finish. Sure. And, and then, like, having a group to kind of, do you find that, People are reporting that the groups help them to stay motivated to like, you know, if you have no schedule, if I'm just like, I've taken a couple moves and I don't think I've finished any mm -hmm. because I'm a terrible person. That's true. I'm halfway through, you know, four different. Yeah. yeah. So, it, but that's, that's partly because like, I'm not seeking to get a job and I'm just yeah, picking up some extra goal. learning. Yeah. I'm not trying to look for a certification because at this point in my life, I'm not seeking it. Mm -hmm. um, not that I won't ever, but, um, so as we move on, right, like how I drop out, whatever. And when you find, do people report that in these groups, they get, you know, motivation to, keep the course and like stay on a you know deadline even if it's you know self-imposed well so we've done a bunch of stuff to help with that um so i mean yeah we, we have attrition like any move people are a little more invested because okay. they're paying um we also if you if you finish your nano degree in the first in, in within 12 months uh, we give you half your tuition back oh, um, oh i didn't cool. know that so, okay um and is that hard to do? I mean, I just like, no, I, you know, like, I don't know, like how many hours, like how many hours a week would it take a person to finish a nano degree in a year? I mean, that's all this specific question, but it, it, it's a good one, but it varies a lot because okay. people are doing this, you know, people do nano degrees while they're at their current job right. or while right. they're going to school. And they have different backgrounds. Right. Yep. And, and so, I mean, the average is about six months across all nano degrees. Oh, okay. Um, and but we've seen extremes on both ends. You know, yeah. we've seen people finish them in three months. And but if you're reasonably, mo you know, there's no promise. But if you're reasonably motivated and you're really trying to drive at it, getting through in a year isn't uh, impossible task. Oh no, not at all. So, um, you know, I recently hired one of our graduates that um, finished 
three of our nano degrees in the course of about seven months. Oh wow! wow. Um, Is that some kind was, of bootstrapping? Right? Like, <laughs> I trained this guy, and then he came and worked for me. It's the yeah. ulti- It's funny when I interviewed here. I was like, "So, do you guys do you guys dog food? Do you do, <laughs> do you hire you know do you hire uh, your graduates in the engineering team?" And um, I was really pleased that the answer was yes. Uh, but yeah, he's been great. So I mean, these hyper motivated folks um, can get it done really quickly. Cool. Um, but I, I think Alan said that he was spending like three three hours a day on it. So I mean, extremes on on both ends. Totally. Well, I mean, which isn't unreasonable. I mean, I'm sure there are people playing League of Legends or. Uh, why do you have to call me out on the show? <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were a Dota guy. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, okay, so just out yourself then. Um, but you know, League of Legends or you know Counter Counter Strike or you know. Uh, Halo, I'm going to date myself, I don't know, whatever. But anyways, um, you know, people playing that two, three hours a day, easy, right? I mean, to be fair, yeah. I'm not saying they're wasting their time because you do what you want and with you your time. You can absolutely but like, finish it in a year. Yeah, I mean, like two to three hours studying is probably reasonable. harder than playing, you know, League of Legends for three hours. But, um, you know, well, it's not yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I, no, I mean, Dota is so it's, hard. It's so good. People who play that are so skilled, <laughs> amazing so, people. It's, it's hard for me to play Dota because I used to be very good, and then I um, we had we both had kids, and so now we don't play that much anymore. And when I do play, it still thinks I'm at the same level. Ooh. So I just now I play, and people basically. Uh, you the know, game call me on. slurs and, yeah. and uh, tell me to leave. <laughs> so, the, um, um, but to, I, I didn't really answer your question earlier. So what we tell people on the website is it's 10 hours a week for six months. Um, but again, that, that's... It's very a, dependent. Yeah, yeah. It's, this is a yeah. guideline that we give folks. Like you said, I mean, if you have someone who's a chemical engineer, it's going to be different than someone who got three quarters of a way and for life circumstances dropped out of a computer science right. degree, right? Yeah, like totally. those two people are going to have very different experiences. Exactly. Yep. So, do you have any public stats? I mean, I know that the, the, the guarantee thing is relatively new, mm-hmm. um, and this flip card thing sounds like it's even newer, but historically, are there any stats on, um, you know, students, sort of like what the funnel looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Like, students who come in, um, sort of what percentage of them, like, finish, what percentage, like, do you have any, like, cool success stories, kind of things like that? Um, yes. <laughs> All right. Wow. <laughs> Good. Okay, so uh, that's it for this episode. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we, we have uh, over 2,000 graduates. Um, mm-hmm. And so, Nano Degrees launched in October of 2014. So, it's about 16, 16 months. Mm-hmm. And um, so, we have about, you know, over 2,000 graduates. And the, the jobs thing is a little harder. Uh, people that we've helped put in jobs, people that we know about, um, is over 300. But uh, we expect that there are more that just, it's a self-reporting thing. Right. Uh, if they, if they, uh, and there are people that we know have gotten promotions too as a result of this. There was a woman at Google uh, that went from being an analyst to being in a SWE. Okay. And, um, so Which requires a technical interview. Yeah, SWE right. is software engineer, for you who don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just said sweet and made it really a... <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, the... What was the other? There was one one other number you asked. So for. Uh, success stories and also yeah, just uh, uh, yeah, like anyone in particular who who said something that kind of really resonated. Like um, you know, I was away because I go to Afghanistan or something. I came back. I couldn't go to college yeah. or any, any cool stories like that. So yeah, m- my favorite is actually Alan, the guy I was telling you about earlier. Mm-hmm. So he was a you know the special forces guy, and, and it's funny they said that because he was in Afghanistan. Um, he actually did. He went to MIT for mechanical engineering, um, and then he joined the army, um, did several deploys in Afghanistan, and um, came back and decided that he wanted to be a software engineer, and just started um, doing nano degrees. Like he said, very rapidly, 
um, and then decided instead, <laughs> instead of getting a job, he's going to start his own company. Mm-hmm. And he started this really cool, the idea was crowd, crowdsourced insurance. Okay. Um, so basically, going back to the you know the idea behind insurance is distributed risk. Right. But right. like now you pick the people that you distribute risk with. Oh, um, okay, okay. You know, like, it. uh, so uh, it's a totally fascinating model. Um, so I'm so imagining a Kickstarter page where it's like, "Hi, I'm an athletic 30 year old looking right. for other people." <laughs> <Not> smoker. <laughs> yeah. So um, the idea is like all of you get together and you say, "Okay, if I break my arm, we'll all split it." You know, in ways. Well, is it presi- well? Okay, let him finish the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. That's, that is a amazing business so, yeah. yeah I yeah and novel too I was I was really surprised uh, so the so but anyway he, he wound up interviewing here after he'd been doing that for about six months and uh, we were all just blown away in the interview process first of course we, we have a soft spot for our student our graduates right, obviously right. Um, but yeah I hired him on the team and, and he's just been incredible and uh, it's kind of you know People get jobs other places in Udacity, but that one's so close, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's it's really amazing to see this guy every day. That, was he able know, to hit the ground running, yeah. or was it just okay? I really need someone to boot camp me on Udacity or something. No, he didn't, he didn't need a lot. Of cool, <laughs> very cool. He's a, and it's definitely you know, as an individual, he's the sort of person that just runs really hard. Um, and then I was talking about mock interviews earlier. Uh, it, it was sort of my introduction to the Udacity culture. I'd been here about a month and I volunteered to do one of these mock interviews. And as we were talking about earlier, it was really satisfying to do it and then give her feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this was a woman who was completely changing careers. She was like a court reporter. Okay. And then um, was going to interview, uh, she was inter- interviewing around the valley for um, engineering test positions or SRE, software reliability engineer type things. And um, I didn't mention earlier, but I used to be at Nest. Oh, okay. It's relevant to this story. Yep. <laughs> uh, so about five weeks later, she didn't tell me where she was interviewing. Um, about five weeks later, I just get this just gushing email, just you know, thanking me for my help. And she just got a, a job on the integration engineering team at Nest. Cool. And, and without, and, and there was something so appealing about seeing this person, um, or you know, for me as an individual, we do this at scale, but seeing the sort of impact on one person's life. And um, what was amazing, but yeah, we have lots of people. We had somebody that was a pro golfer, nice. and decided <laughs> awesome. they want to be a programmer, and went to Udacity and got a job as a programmer. Cool, um, cool. Yeah, there's yeah, where I used to work. There were lots of programmers who did golfing, but around here, I don't know many people. <laughs> That's true. It usually golfing. goes the other way around. You want to become a pro golfer, after right? Yeah, doing yeah. Programming. Um, um, so we. I, I don't. Before we go to like some of the listener questions, I think you have here. I don't know if we. I think we covered. Do you cover most everything? Of them? So okay, I, I was gonna say. So we talked a lot about Udacity, but I mean other things too. Just being, you know, you said you were director of engineering. Is that, is that your title? Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Um, you know, what are the kinds of things you know just want people to know or whatever re- regarding Udacity? Regarding hey, when you're interviewing, don't brush your teeth before you go, right, or like, like you know, just like, like good tips. Like you do obviously a lot of hiring, I imagine. I do. Um, and, or at least a lot of interviewing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so if you want to talk a little bit about that, people are always asking us for tips, right? We have people who are already kind of training or trained to be computer science. Now they're trying to do interviews. So like that stuff is also, mm. um, would be interesting for people to hear. And then I, I read a blog post in preparation for this where you were right, talking about being a dad in the as a programmer. Mm-hmm. I, I think, that, okay, good. You're, you're looking at me a little blank. It's like, uh-oh. Yeah. No, no, I, um, and so we're both dads. So, you know, if we want to talk about that or diversity in the workforce, like these are things we care about as well. So mm-hmm. if you just kind of have any other things you'd, that Pat, you want to talk about or give tips or... Yeah, we've yeah. been kind of blasting you with questions. Now is your time to... To, to, to uh, uh, blast you guys with questions? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think on the interviewing, it, it's obvious, but so many people get it wrong. 
is ask ask questions. You know, the the big thing that I, the mistake that I see people make, um, and this is like experienced people as well, is that they come to the interview and you set up a problem for them and they just go, okay, right, and they don't ask you whether you care more about time or space or you know just. And, and that's always a red flag. I don't know about you guys, but for me, yep. that's always this red flag of like, did you, did you do no clarifying questions at all? And, um, and I, I, that's the advice I want to give to almost, well, not almost, but to lots of candidates. If I had the chance, it's just yep. ask me questions before you start answering the question. Yeah, I mean, imagine you. if you're on the job and someone says, I want, you know, I want you, you know, we're, we're building the next Facebook. You always hear this. I get asked this on Quora every week. How do I build the next Facebook? So, so. So if, if someone comes to you on the job and says, "Hey, you'll build the next Facebook," your question, your, your answer would be, "Why?" I mean, like, what what's really the point here? Or or if not why, at least like how? Mm-hmm. Like, what sort of assumptions are we making that that's going to make things different, right? And it's the same in an interview. If someone says, um, you know, uh, cop, do a deep copy of this graph, you should say, "Was well, it a tree or is it a, does it have cycles in the graph?" Like these kind of things, right? You should. You should ask questions back to them and, and, and start to understand. And then also just ask about the company and, and, and right. is it sort of the right place to be? I totally agree. <clears throat> that's, that's, that would be one of my uh, top things is, is uh, people just want to know. About, there's, there's plenty of people who can do the deep copy of the graph. There's not that many people who are genuinely interested in. In, in the company mm-hmm. that, that you're representing. So. I'll give a dissenting opinion because I really? literally had this argument yesterday at work. Um, and so there is a fine balance here between uh, people who stall by asking questions. Sure. Sure. And then yeah, when you're sense. doing an interview, trying to make it clear that you're not. So like, I know this and I'm ready to go. And so sometimes people ask questions which are simple enough that they don't, I won't say don't require because as you said, you may could ask something, but they're trying to put, look, let's put up a solution. And then like, I want to show I can get a solution up and then let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because often as engineers, I mean, that's kind of, you first say, how would I solve this as a first order thing? And then talk about now that I have a, you know, something down, especially if I know it's going to be short enough that I can bang it out fast. Like, let's talk about what would be different. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm not saying you guys are wrong. I'm just saying like, I've had candidates who I ask a simple first question and I want to expound upon. They go ahead and give me an answer. I don't actually knock them down for that Mm. because then I say, okay, now that was great, and and if they're going fast enough, if they're going slow enough, I'll kind of stop them. Oh, hey, hang on a second, like you know whatever. But if they're banging out fast, great, get to the end, and then say, ah, oh, that's great. Now what happens if we change it this way or change it right? And now I begin to introduce that, or maybe sometimes they even ask, like once they get that first thing up, oh, you mean something that's solvable by this, and give me five lines of code? And it's like, well, yeah, that would be a solution. And then they're like, okay, well, what happened? Do you like? Are you going planning to change this? Are you planning to change that? And they ask me at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I would say I'm very careful to say that when someone doesn't do this thing right. I, it's a red flag because yeah that's, that's a good point that's, fair. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I understand what you're saying and, there, but it's, and it's a valid point in general right there, there are hardly any absolutes in interviewing totally. um, it's very improvisational but uh, no it's just the thing that I've been running into the last couple of years is just people just jumping into problems and missing a key um, but sometimes it's like sometimes it's really blatant if you've set the problem up, which maybe it's not a good question. We could get to that as a separate discussion. Right. But some people like set up something with, with something <laughs> missing. Yeah, right. right. And so you will get some far. You can get started, but you'll get to some point and be stuck. Yeah. And now you'll be hosed because you made assumptions. Yeah. yeah. And then you still couldn't get it done. And that's 
Do you have in that case? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have sort of like a so we've shared in the past our interview horror stories. So this is on both sides of the fence. You know, an an interview that was that was horrifying, and interviewing someone else where horrifying things happened. Do you have an interview horror story (coughs) on either side? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So while I was at a company in the valley. Um, and I was interviewing as a hiring manager, so um, I would typically do behavioral questions and just you know looking at you know will this person work well with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would always throw out a technical question and um, this is a sanity check. And for a while there, the one and, and these are just kind of fizzbuzz type questions. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, and it so was just people don't know fizzbuzz is like know. the most popular interview question, but it's terrible. Really, I've never seen anyone ask it before. I right? haven't either, but it's okay. the most example. Apparently it's the most example question. Popular. But I don't even know what it is. Something with with a for loop or something. So you, I, I thought a version of it is I want you to print fizz, you know, go through a counter and print out to number one, two, three, and everything. Every seventh say fizz. Every third say or every third say buzz. Every seventh say fizz. And if it and then yeah, that's the question. Okay. And you're supposed to determine that on ones that are common multiples of seven and three, you need to say fizz buzz. Okay. Got right? it. Right. Okay. That, that's the so, gist. So you asked yeah. the fizz buzz question. Well, and or similar to the, fizz yeah. Buzz so question. It, yeah. Uh, the question was actually count the number of set bits in a 32-bit integer. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, and this guy, so he was he was French. So I'm gonna try to do an impression here. Uh-oh. <laughs> this guy kind of leans back in his chair, which doesn't work on radio. It's just total attitude, just you know, body language is awful. And he's just leaning back in the chair. He's this contemptuous look at the the whiteboard, and he's like, "You can tell it is a hardware company <laughs> with the bits." <laughs> and I'm like, "No, no, this is a problem solving thing. You know, like first principles, no problem. We just walk through it." And and he's just getting, he's, he's just like, and right when I'm about to call it, and, and I'm just like, "Okay, forget about it. We won't do this question." Um, he yells, the bits! I have not used the bits in years! And then he picks up his backpack and storms out of the building. Oh, oh. oh my God. So was it instant hire? It, it, yeah. Like instant hire. <laughs> Sounds oh, great. Keep word. that guy around, man. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Oh, man. So, so the answer is lookup table. That's painful. Right? Like that. <laughs> so, so, well, what are we going to do the problem now? Like, I'll, I'll say like on the, air <laughs> fascinating the, the hardest thing like the, the most frightening thing for me uh, as an interviewee somebody asked me how would I design a database for this website and it was a website company and I I only knew embedded systems I know anything about web anything at the time and uh, uh, and I basically kind of said various things and they said, oh, it's not going to work. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, and, and uh, the important thing there is, uh, it is always try and talk your way through it and have an important dialogue. I mean, as you said, I mean, this is maybe this guy knew the answer, but because he's just, he didn't want to have the dialogue, you're right. never going to get the job that way. So the other useful tip in your horror story is like, even if you're going for a technical interview, be ready. Don't like fall over when someone says, tell me right. about a problem you solved or tell me right. about yourself yeah. in a few sentences or two words to describe you. Like it says, oh, those are questions are easy. But if you've not like spent a few minutes thinking about it, you'll be caught flat footed and it gets awkward. Yeah. And you can uh, improve all of these skills by doing the nano degree. <laughs> well, no, but I was, I was actually just going, I can show <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow, Jason! What can I say? Is is the pins were set up? I just had to knock them down. Uh, sponsored by you, <laughs> um, no. I, but I was going to say that we we do these sort of question and answer. Um, um, what are they called? Hang, hang hangouts on air. Oh, okay. Students, yeah. Yeah. Um, where we'll just field interview questions. And I mean, the most common answer to every question is you know prep. 
you know is is you know what you were alluding to is like don't don't get stumped by uh, you know behavioral questions. You can expect those, right? Yep. Um, and just practice, and you know, practice with the Udacity engineer during a month. <laughs> totally. But yeah. Where I thought you were going with that is that you allow people to ask you interview questions and then like someone solves that was like, That's well, that is gutsy. <laughs> that is gutsy. Wow. Because every time we I don't said, do that, but now we will. That's a really good idea. <laughs> I, I kind of want to listen to this okay. now. <laughs> can I call in with some questions? I guess I don't know how to solve. Yeah. I have this bug. Uh, can I just send you this source code? And <laughs> it becomes some source. And this is really unfortunate. I try to fuss at people I catch doing it, but like abuse the interviewee. Like, you know, ask them some question that's ridiculous. And, like, you don't expect them to do well, but, like, you ask them a really hard question just to, like, show, like... That's worth saying. So you hear about this. uh, And, actually, I think this is true in the finance sector. I have a friend who interviewed at, well, a certain finance company. And they have an interview where they just try and get under your skin and and Mm -hmm. see how you react. So, in general, I mean, I've interviewed and been an interviewer at a lot of companies. I've never seen this. Oh, I have. Really? You've seen it. I was told the point was to. Yeah, someone. Well, I don't know that they were. Someone told me 15 minutes into an interview, I think you have no technical skills whatsoever. And when I was solving a technical problem, like on the whiteboard. But you don't. But my point is, they weren't trying to tell you that. uh, Really? Okay. Yeah, they were just a terrible per- I mean, uh, they were having a bad day. <laughs> I think they were having a bad day, probably. That's an uh, HR uh, moment most places yeah. have been. Like, <laughs> yeah. Talk yeah. to a candidate like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways. All right. So, no, I don't know that for sure it was a test. It's impossible unquote. to know. But it is true that some people are told, ask the candidate, and I do know this, like, ask them a really hard question. Mm-hmm. And then you have a calibration internally that, like, oh, they're only expected to get the easy oh, answer see, or I halfway see. through. Um, and they want to make sure that at least one question isn't completely solvable so you know kind of where the that's fair upper that's a, limit is that's, that's a little different um, but that's, that's true yeah. in programming competitions as well yeah, right? right like there's some you're really not supposed to be able to answer in the time frame that's why the eastern european uh, acm set is harder than the world final set because uh there's so many teams from the eastern european division that don't call because only the top three teams from each division qualify and they found that when they made those two sets the same everyone got uh, not everyone but a lot of people got all of them right and so they ended up having to make that set harder. Mm. And so you're right. I mean, interviews are the same way where they keep, they, they need to make sure that you can't get everything right so that. Because they want to know can, where you're, what happens when you right. squirm, right? And, and not to an abusive point, you can avoid right. HR moments. And you have right. to be really trusting of the person doing the interview as a hiring manager to tell them to do this. Right, right. But, you know, just because you're doing poorly on a problem, A, doesn't mean you're actually doing poorly. And B, may mean it's designed for you not to. Finish. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, anyways, I think I derailed us. You were saying no, about this person in the finance and no, no, I think that, that I was think, uh, yeah, I think there's some interviews that were some companies where they uh, there's there's like people think that that companies they try to give you a hard time, but it's not true. They're really just trying to find the best people, and uh, um, and you're all you're both kind of have in, aligned interests when you're interviewing. That's one important thing to take away. But uh, cool, thank you, Art. Oh, thank for you your guys. Time. It's fun. Uh, this is awesome. Well, uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to uh, to um, getting the feedback, and so we might get some questions for you mm-hmm. from from the listeners, so we can send them your way and things like that. And Sounds so, good. Cool. I guess that's it. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, the intro music is AXO by Binar Pilot. Programming Throwdown is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 2.0 license. You're free to share, copy, distribute, transmit the work, to remix, adapt the work, but you must provide uh, attribution uh, to uh, Patrick and I.
and uh, share alike in kind.